Uh, we're traveling through 2 Samuel together, 2 Samuel chapter 6 this morning. Um, your message was probably really good for us because uh, talking about David and some of the stuff he went through, people were going, oh, when, when Saul was persecuting David, we had studied that last year for Samuel as we studied through, so we are all familiar with that, so um, it didn't take a lot of explanation on your part to let us know what you were talking about in on Psalm 27, so that was good for us. Um, so let's get started in 2 Samuel chapter 6. David has just been anointed king over both kingdoms now, Israel and Judah, and now is reigning over the whole nation. And uh, we're going to see um, David make some decisions here and uh, make some good decisions, some bad decisions, and we'll discuss some things here. So let's go ahead and open in prayer. Uh, who hasn't prayed in a while? Josiah, have you? You haven't prayed in a while, I don't think. Let's go ahead and have Josiah pray this morning. Uh, dear Lord, thank you for uh, the weekend we've had with the, the work day the other day. I'm sure uh, you do a lot of work done. Um, uh, thank you for uh, Dr. Dan this morning who uh, preached to us uh, for his wonderful message, Lord. Uh, I just ask that on uh, Sunday we'll do the same and that you would correctly uh, teach us uh, Amen. Well, maybe yeah, we all try to be fast, and we'll get to it quicker. Yeah, sure. that won't happen. Okay. So, Second Samuel chapter six. I titled this "David Brings the Ark to Jerusalem." Uh, so now that David's king, he's going to start to uh, put some things together, get some things organized in Israel. One of the things he wants to do is bring the ark uh, to a resting place in his capital in Jerusalem, and uh, make up a, a more permanent place for the ark of God to dwell, for the tabernacle to be. Uh, so he starts by bringing the ark there. Let's uh, begin in verses 1 and 2. Who would like to read? Miriam, your hand went up first. Again, David scattered all the choicemen of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him to Goethe Bithia to bring up the ark, to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name was called by the name the Lord of hosts, who dwells so David gathers men to retrieve the ark. My green pen it looks like it's on its way out here, but we'll give it a try. So he gathers all the choice men, and apparently there's 30,000 choice men in Israel. Oh, by the way, pass that back to Miriam. That's what she's waiting for. The choice men are 30,000. Yes. Yes, there's, there's bribes for reading in the class, yeah. I, I think some people would still read without it, but we, we like to make sure that there's people reading. This way they don't have to listen to me, too. That's another motivation. Um, they went to Baal Judah, which uh, literally is the lords of Judah. Um, and it's uh, at Kiriath Jerim, which is about 10 miles west of Jerusalem. So you have uh, Jerusalem here. And so you go 10 miles west, you're heading towards the Mediterranean Sea. Um, and they went there to bring up the ark. And they went there to bring up the ark of God. And who's God? He's called by the name. Uh, interesting, this is one of the few places in the Old Testament where it says uh, God is called by the name. A lot of time, you know, if you know anything about the Hebrews, they wouldn't pronounce the name Jehovah or Yahweh like we do. Um, they would use, uh, sometimes they'd use Hashem which is uh, literally the name. Uh, they wouldn't pronounce that, so this might be something along that lines where they're not pronouncing the name of God. Uh, but just to make it clear, the author is going to tell us who that it is. It's the Lord of Hosts, which is uh, Yahweh Shavuot, the Lord of Hosts, the Lord of Armies. Uh, that's a name that's used often of God, especially in the last couple of passages we've seen this here. And just to make it more clear, the author goes on to tell us who that is, who dwells between the cherubim. Um, it's literally the, the one who sits uh, the cherubim on over against. The Hebrew uh, uh, prepositions are often very fluid, that they can mean a lot of different things here. So on over against, the, someone who sits on over against the cherubim. This could be two things. Uh, where God dwells, his dwelling place of God. Obviously, God's omnipresent, so God's everywhere, right? But his, the place of his presence is often described in heaven, his throne in heaven, and he, of course, dwells there. 
between the cherubim. There's angels all around him worshiping him in heaven. Or it could mean the ark, of course, is built with two cherubim on the mercy seat. And there God comes, it's the day of atonement there, and comes in for the sacrifice. So it could mean one of those two things there. Um, so it's, just, it's describing God here, that it's his ark, um, and that's who David is coming to gather to retrieve the ark. So um, the author of Second Samuel here is giving us a little bit of a theology lesson of who God is, the God, the Lord of hosts, the God of armies, the God of angels here, who dwells beneath, between the cherubim, whether in heaven or talking about the God who comes at the ark on the Day of Atonement here. So those are two options you might see there. Uh, let's move on to 2 Samuel 3 through 5. Lemuel, your hand went up very quick there. So they set the ark of God on the new part and brought up the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill of Esau. So David here begins to move the ark. And they set the ark on a cart. And so they grab the ark, they put it on the cart, and they bring it out of the house of Abinadab. Now why is it in the house of Abinadab? Well, First Samuel 7, verses 1 and 2 Say that the men of Kiriath Jerem came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. They consecrated Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. So it was that the ark had remained in Kiriath Jerem a long time, there 20 years, and the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And so this was after the ark was captured. Remember that the Philistines captured the ark after the Israelites foolishly took it into battle, thinking that if we took it into battle, we're going to beat the Philistines because God's going to go before us. And God didn't like that idea, so the Philistines ended up beating the Israelites very badly. They took the ark back to the land of the Philistines. And remember, they had terrible trouble that they started getting tumors and rats and all kinds of plagues because they were keeping the ark. And so they passed it from city to city, and finally the Philistines were afraid of the ark and said, well, let's get rid of it. And they sent it back to the Israelites on a cart, and it came as far as Kiriath-Jerim. And they took the ark, and this is what they did with it. They gave it to this guy Abinadab and put it in his house. And they left it there for 20 years, not knowing what to do with it. Um, and so Abinadab is there, and uh, they concentrated Eliezer, his son. So in this passage, we see described as the sons of Abinadab are who? Uzzah and Ahio. Yeah, Uzzah and Ahio. Ohio. Ohio. I don't know. Um, these two guys, these guys are probably maybe grandsons of Abinadab. This is 20 years later, so it's probably maybe Eliezer's sons. Um, a lot of times sons can be descendants, so it could be actually grandsons at this point. Um, they, could be, they could be a second, third son, or grandsons, but probably grandsons at this point. Um, and so these two guys, uh, Uzzah and Ahayu, um, they, uh, they're the ones, they, they take the ark and put it in a cart, and they drive the cart. It looks like Uzzah's the one actually driving the cart, and driving, of course, we think of driving as a car, but driving, the, he's the guy in the cart, you know, leading the oxen, and Ahio is going on before the cart, ark in the cart. And then David and Israel, the people, the 30,000 men, they're playing instruments before that. This is a big celebration for them. We're taking the ark and we're bringing it back to Jerusalem. Yay! So they get out their instruments and they're, they're playing songs and, and worshiping and, and making a, a large celebration. You can see that there's all kinds of instruments. Some of them are just described as stringed instruments. Some are 
sistrums, whatever those are, different instruments that we probably don't use today. Um, so they're playing music before the Lord. Now there's a problem here. And what's the problem? Yeah, they're putting the ark on the cart. Uh, let's look at a couple of passages here. Numbers 3.30 through 31. Who's going to read? Matt, go ahead. And the leader of the father's house of the families of Kohath was Yusupan, the son of Uziel, distributing food to the oath, the table, the lampstand, the altar, the utensils of the sanctuary with which they ministered, the screen, and all the Okay, so first we see that the people who were in charge of the ark were who? The Kohathites? Yeah, and who are the Kohathites? Aren't they a family of the Levites? Yeah, they're a family of the Levites. One of the three sons of the Levites was Kohath, and his sons were in charge of taking care of the utensils that were in the temple, including the ark. Now, how are they supposed to do it? Matt, go on. I'm going to have you read all three of these. So... Um, because that was a pretty short passage. Numbers 4.15, read that one next. And when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, when the camp is set to go, then the sons of Kohath shall come to carry them, but they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. These are the things in the tabernacle of meeting which the sons of Kohath are to carry. So what are the, what are the sons of Kohath supposed to take care of again? The holy things, including, and how are they supposed to move them? Without touching them, by carrying them, not by putting them in a cart, right? And just to be a little more clear, let's read Numbers 7, 9. But to the sons of Kohath he gave none, because theirs was the service of the holy things which were carried in the shore. So what are, what are they supposed to take care of again? Holy including the ark, which they're supposed to do What? Carry it specifically on their shoulders without touching it. And, yeah, because remember they made these rods that go through the little rings that were on the sides of the, the holy things, including the ark. So they put the rods through, put the rods on their shoulder and carried them. doesn't say anything about moving on a cart, right? So th- th- this is all wrong, the way they're moving this. This is, this is the wrong idea. We're not supposed to throw this on a cart and move this. Now, the average Israelite may or may not realize this. David, David seems to be well-schooled in the things of God, right? David, in fact, David's a king. What is the king supposed to do? What's one of the things that God tells the king that he's supposed to do? He's supposed to write out the Pentateuch. He's supposed to write it out for himself, make himself a copy. So David would have known this. And David should know that he's doing this the wrong way. This is going to cause problems here. So remember that they're not supposed to put it on the cart. They're supposed to carry it. Remember what Nathan said. What, what, what did you say, Nathan? Yeah, you're not supposed to touch the ark, right? It says very specifically in uh, Numbers 4.15 not to touch the ark. So let's see what happens here. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Jana, go ahead. So number three here, we see that Uzzah is struck dead by God. Wow. And that's serious, but again, remember what Nathan said. What happens? If you touch the ark, what does God say will happen? You die. And so that's what happens. Uzzah touches the ark, and it's at Nacon's threshing floor. And it's because the oxen struggled. And, he, and maybe he thought that, oh, no, the ark's going to fall over. I need to help steady it. Uh, and you've probably done this moving stuff. You see something start to wobble a little bit, and you put up a hand to steady it, right? You've done this before. I've done this before. And normally, that's probably a good thing, that you're trying to help out. But this is all wrong to start with. The ark should never have been on a cart. This is not the way to transport it. And now it puts Uzzah in this bad position where he 
he gets in the situation where all of a sudden the ark maybe was starting to wobble a little bit, and now he's putting up his hand to stop it, and he's not supposed to be touching it. And so Uzzah struck dead. The anger of the Lord, it says here, was aroused against him because he wasn't obeying what God told him to do. And so God struck Uzzah down right by the ark. So it happened like immediately here. And it says uh, right here, because of his error, his error was not obeying what God told him to do. He was not to touch the ark. And this happened because, because of how they were transporting it. If it was on the Levite's shoulder, the Kohathite's shoulders, like it was supposed to be, this would not have happened because the cart wouldn't have, the oxen wouldn't have stumbled, the cart wouldn't have wobbled, the ark wouldn't have been tipping over. This would not have happened. And so they were doing this wrong, and it's going to cost this guy his life because of maybe, maybe he just reacted. He just saw it and just reacted. I mean, maybe he didn't even think about it. I don't know what happened here in his mind, but he did what was wrong because of his error. And God struck him dead. So let's, let's read on, verses 8 through 10. Anybody? Oh, Gabriel. So David stops moving the ark. Yeah. <laughs> David stops moving the ark. He, 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 he halts his whole plan here. The ark's going to Jerusalem, now it's not. Um, so David becomes angry. David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak. Now, the question I ask here, and I think I've always had this wrong, but the question I'm going to ask you, and I want some input on this, who is David angry at? Yeah, I, I always grew up and I thought for a long time that David got angry at God for killing Uzzah. That was always, that was always my impression of this, that, that Uzzah died and David, David was like, oh, why did God do that? And he was angry at God. I don't think that's true. I think David was angry at himself because I think he realized that he had done this wrong and now it's on him that this guy died because he didn't do this the right way. He didn't do this God's way. And he tried to take a shortcut here, put it on a cart the easy way, get it to Jerusalem. And now this guy's death is on David's conscience. And I think David was angry at himself. And I looked up some commentaries, and there's a lot of commentators that kind of think the same way, that David uh, probably was angry with himself that he did this wrong. And I think that... that that fits with who David is from what we've seen of David, that he would have hold, held himself personally responsible for this man's death. So, so that's kind of my thought. There's no proof in the passage. It doesn't say where David's anger was directed, but that's, that's what I think of what's going on here. Um, later on, it, it says David was afraid. I, I think that uh, the fear is that David was concerned that other people would die. And I think that David had some guilt on his conscience here for what had happened here. And so I think the anger was at himself. Um, it's because of the, the Lord's outbreak against uh, Uzzah. I think it's because of the death of Uzzah. Uh, this, this name, Perez Uzzah, this Perez term keeps on coming up. Because remember last week it was the battle, the, the, the Perez, uh, I don't remember the name of the town, but it was the outbreak of the, the name of the town, Rephaim or whatever it was the breakthrough there. Um, this is a breakthrough of Uzzah, literally here. This Perez keeps on coming up, this Hebrew word. Uh, and then it says that David was afraid, and he was afraid of the Lord, that maybe the Lord was going to strike more people dead because of this. And how can the ark come to him? So David's having some deep guilt here, some deep guilty feelings. And this stops him from moving the ark any further. He doesn't want to hurt anybody else, I think. And so he stops so David would not move the ark any further, and the ark remained at the house of Obed-Edom. Um, this name Obed-Edom means the servant of Edom. It's an interesting name, um, because who's Edom? Yeah, who, but who is Edom? Esau, yeah. 
So this is, Edom is Jacob's brother, Esau. This is the Edomites there, um, down here on the map. So this guy's name means he was a servant of Edom. He's obviously in Judah now, but at some point in time, he got that name for being maybe enslaved to some Edomite. Uh, but who is he? Let's First Chronicles fifteen seventeen. Who would like to read that? Abigail, go ahead. So, again, here's a list of names for all you ladies when you're ready to pick up boy names for your kids. Um, but Obed-Edom, he's a Levite here. And that's interesting that uh, they found a Levite to uh, take care of the ark. Um, maybe uh, even Kothite, uh, um, somebody who is the right person to be watching over the ark here. Maybe David's rethinking what he's doing. He's stopping here and going, okay, let's start doing things right. Uh, because we're going to see, I think, that when David resumes this journey with the ark, that he changes his style a little bit on what he's going to do. Um, so, so Obed-Edom... He gets to keep the ark for a little bit. Uh, so let's move on. Samuel uh, 6, 11 through 12. Next reader. You guys are quiet today. Go ahead, Ted. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, six minutes. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. Now it was told to King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David's land. So the ark dwells with Obed-Edom. I can't spell up here. Okay, I'm getting my black pen out. This green pen is just not doing the job. Oh, look at that. That is nice looking. Dwells. How about that? So it dwells there for three months, and during that three months, the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and it blessed all of his household. And so he's blessed for keeping the ark in his house. That's interesting. Um, David learns of God's blessing. Someone tells King David that, hey, God's blessing Obed-Edom because he has the ark. And David decides, okay, let's move the ark the rest of the way to Jerusalem. Now, why would he suddenly change his mind? Okay, yeah, remember, David was afraid to move the ark because guy, this guy got killed and he was afraid that bad things were going to happen here. Now he sees that the ark's bringing about blessings, so maybe David's like, okay, it's okay, the ark's fine, it's not going to hurt me now. You know, this, this is probably what's going through David's mind. He's dealing with a lot of guilt. Some guy died on his account because he did things wrong. Now he's seeing that, okay, things are okay, God's blessing people because of the ark. I it's safe to move now. I mean, you have to go through David's mind. He's just a person, you know. He's not, he's not the Superman where he's like, okay, I've, I'm invincible. He, he needs to be reassured a little bit that God's okay with what's going on. And so he sees three months of blessing here, and he thinks, okay, you know, God's not killing Obed-Edom, so I think it's okay to move the ark again. So, so David needs a little convincing, and that's okay. He's a human being. He needs some reassurance. And so he learns that the ark's, ark's fine. So David brings the ark out of the house of Obed-Edom, and he brings it to the city of David. And remember, the city of David could be either Bethlehem or Jerusalem. In this case, the city of David's talking about Jerusalem. And he brings it with gladness. He's, he's glad that the ark is finally moving to where he thinks it should be. So, so David's plan is finally moving forward again. Uh, verses 13 through 15, let's keep reading. Go Jonathan. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. 
Then David danced to the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting with the sound of the trumpet. Okay, so just to answer your question in case you have to go soon, he's wearing a linen ephod. So, um, David brings the ark to Jerusalem. What's so special about Jerusalem? Yeah, this is David's new capital city. Remember last week we read about how he conquered Jerusalem after the Jesuits um, had occupied it for like 350 years and after they had basically mocked David and said, the blind and the lame are going to repel you, you can't take the city. And David's like, okay, well, we're going to take it anyway. And he managed to do that. Um, so David brings the ark to Jerusalem. And notice here, so it was when those bearing the ark, the word bearing in Hebrew is the word carrying. So they're carrying the ark. So it seems that now, instead of putting it on a cart, there's actually people carrying the ark, which gives you the image of what? That they have it on the poles and they're actually carrying it the right way. It was in the house of a Levite, so I'm guessing that David actually has Levites doing it now. I think David's learned from his mistake and now he's doing things the right way. It doesn't say that specifically in the passage, but I'm guessing that David now is following the Lord's instruction and bearing the ark the way it's supposed to be born. Right? I, you guys kind of think that with me, I hope. Okay, I think that's what's going on. And then he's, he's, he's bringing it with sacrifices. And here it says, uh, and again, this is something that I always misread when I was younger and even up to a few years ago maybe. Um, after he had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fat sheep. I always thought this was like every six paces they sacrificed. Yeah. I think this is, they, made, they went six paces, they made a sacrifice. It was an inaugural sacrifice. They did a sacrifice and then they kept going. This wasn't every six paces type of thing. And some people have misunderstood that. That would be a lot of sacrifices along the way, going every six paces. Um, so they they, fed, they sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Um, and on the way, David danced before the Lord, and he danced with all his might. So this was a very, um, very uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, it, this was a he gave himself to this dance. This was a very all-consuming. This is this is a very focused dance. This is what he was doing. He was dancing for the Lord with all his might. And he was wearing a linen ephod. He was not naked, as some people will say later by some of the comments that were made by somebody. He was wearing something. He was wearing a linen ephod. Um, and then um, they were... Uh, all the house of Israel brought up the ark with them. Again, he had these 30,000 choice men. I don't know if they still had all 30,000 of them, but there were a lot of people coming with them. And they came with the sound of the trumpet. The word trumpet here is the word shofar. This is traditionally the ram's horn in Israel. It's not the trumpet like uh, the, um, you know, the brass trumpet that we play. This is the ram's horn. Uh, just played the one note. And so they came in with the shofar sounding that, bringing the, the ark into Jerusalem as a celebratory thing. Here's the ark coming home to the tabernacle in Jerusalem. Verse 16. Joanna. So Michal despises... David. And she saw David through a window. So she was in his house. I don't, uh, yeah, they, 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 we talked about they, they built the palace yesterday, so his palace probably. Uh, yesterday, last week. Um, uh, she saw him leaping and whirling, so a very, again, energetic, very all consuming type of dance. And he was leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And we're going to talk a little bit about why she might have despised him, um, based on her comments. But she sees this, and she's not happy about what David's doing. And so she ends up despising him. She ends up just cringing at this moment of what David is doing. Meanwhile, 17 through 19. We're going to come back to this in just a second, so I don't want to say too much right now. Lynn, go ahead. 
So David makes more offerings. And the ark was brought to the tabernacle. Again, there was no temple at this time. The temple doesn't appear until the time of Solomon. So they had a tabernacle in Jerusalem set up, uh, made of the tents. It was set in its place in the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies. Uh, David offered offerings, burnt offerings, and peace offerings. Um, and he, David blesses the people in the name of the Lord. And so he gives a blessing to the people. And then in um, addition to the blessing, he also distributes uh, to the people, to, and he gives to all the people a loaf of bread, uh, a piece of meat, maybe a piece of meat from the offering so that they're participating in the offering because that would have been uh, part of the offering was for the people to eat of the offering, to participate in part of that. And then a cake of raisins or possibly a cake of grapes. Um, so th- there was a cake that they made, and everybody got a part of that. So, so they, w- they were participating in the celebration, and they were a part of that. And then all the people went back home. Um, and so this was part of their celebration, their offering, uh, their thanksgiving to God, that they celebrated this together as a congregation, as Israel bringing the ark into Jerusalem. And David led that. Uh, again, um, his role as, as king, and, and you know, why wouldn't a priest lead that? Well, David, David as a king, um, he, just, he chose to lead that before God. He was worshiping God. He wanted to worship God, and he, he led in that. It was... Uh, something that David wanted to offer to God himself as the king to lead his people in that kind of worship as as their leader, as their commander. So uh, just kind of a neat worship on David's part that he would take the time to lead in this offering here. Um, so David did that, and then um, let's finish up the chapter, and we'll talk about this last part, which is very interesting, I think, and misunderstood by a lot of people. Nathan, go ahead. So Michael confronts David. So she's, she really despises David, and she's not pleased by this whole thing. And David he had just got done blessing the people, so he's going back to his household to bless his household. Um, and Michael comes out just furious and ready to lay down the law of David. And she starts out by just mocking David. How glorious was the king of Israel today? She obviously doesn't mean this. Um, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. Um, and he was uncovering himself. And, and what I think this means, because remember, he, he's wearing a linen ephod. He's not naked. Some people would say, oh, David was dancing naked before the Lord. That's not what it said. He was in a linen ephod. He wasn't naked. What I think this means is he was not in his royal garments. He was not wearing the garments of the king. He was not dressed in his, his fine, costly robes that the king would wear. He, he was in the simple robes of a priest. 
and she she's like, you're the king. You need to dress as a king, not as a simple priest, and, and not among the people. You were dancing among the people. You were in among the people. You're the king. You need to hold yourself as a king because you look at his response. And what does his response start out with after he's saying he's dancing for the Lord? He, he starts talking about how, look, God gave me the place of your father, Saul. He, he took away the kingdom from Saul, your father, who was the king, and gave me the kingship. So don't talk to me about how, it is, how I'm supposed to be the king. Because God gave me that position. And I'm going to be the king the way God wants me to be the king. So I think this is what it's dealing with here, is that she, she was offended that he wasn't acting like a king. He was acting like just a, a common, humble person out there among the people, not acting like a king, and that offended her because her husband is, is the most powerful guy in the land. He should be acting like a king. He should be above all these people. And that's what offended her. And remember, she was married to this other guy, and now you know she was taken away from this guy. I don't know what happened, but at least if she's taken away from this guy, they go be the but the richest, most famous, most powerful guy in, uh, guy in the land, that's great, but he's going to go act like a base, normal fellow, then what did she give that all up for? So I think that's where her problem is, is that David's not acting like a king. He's acting like just one of these normal, common, base fellows, dancing in the streets, celebrating with the rest of the people. What are you doing? Now, Gloria, you're acting like the, the, one of the servants. You're supposed to be acting like the king. You're, you're the king of Israel, but you're, you're uncovering yourself just like this. You're, you're dressed like one of the servants, like one of the priests. You're not acting like the king. And it's, it's that, that ephod versus the kingly garments. You're not dressed like the king. You're not acting like a king. You, you should have been above all this. You should have been sitting up here in the palace watching them bring it in. Stoic and, and not participating in that celebration. You were out there dancing like a wild man. Gabriel. Um, I, I think that's just these fellows shameless. They're they're shamelessly uncomfortable. I, I think in her eyes, that's it's it's shameless to be in that position. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the idea that that you're not you're not covered up like the king. You're not. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's he's not dressed as his position. He's uncovered himself, and is now looking like that base fellow. You know, I I think I think that's the idea that 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 he's getting here. Also, I the, I think the kingly robes were probably voluminous. There, and the linen ephod was just. Um, it wasn't as covered, probably, as the king's robes were. Um, and that, that's the idea I got from what, how people described it. So, um, Anyways, that, I think a lot of this has to do with how Micah, Michael perceives his position, that he was not acting in accord with what his position was. Um, and so David explains his actions. That How does he answer? He says, first of all, I was dancing before the Lord. My first priority is I'm going to do what I'm going to do for the Lord. I wasn't doing what I was doing. You're talking about how glorious was a king. I'll cover myself today in the eyes of the maids. I wasn't doing that for the maids. I was doing that for God. Yes. Yes. Right. So, like, you know, maybe in our culture, uncovered means uncovered. But, like, you know, if they just, like, show off their arms. Or 
I think it was something like that. The way it was this, the way it was described in the commentaries was that it might have been a shorter sleeve or something like that. That yeah, it, there may have been some of that. Um, Right. It's just that he is not, his apparel is, is lowly. Yes. And just like normal people. Yes, yes. Yeah, I agree. That, that's, what I was, that's what I'm trying to get across. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Yep. So, so yes. And, and some people have argued from this passage again that he was he was stripped naked or mostly naked or something like that. And that's I don't think that's what this passage is saying here. I think that's not the issue that she was having. Um, but anyways, his response here, first of all, is that she was focused on that he was dancing before the maids. You know, you're dancing before the maids, and she's like, no, my focus is I'm dancing before the Lord. My focus is on pleasing God. I was dancing to please the Lord. My focus was worshiping God in this dance. Um, and then, uh, and then he goes on. Like I said, you know, his response then focuses on the difference between him and Saul. God chose me over your father Saul. God put me in this position as king over your father Saul. God took the king away from Saul and gave the kingdom to me. And, and so it seems to be, you know, she's questioning his position as king. As a king, you shouldn't do this. And David's saying. God is the one who made me the king, so I'm in the position to decide what I to do as king, not you. Your father Saul is no longer a king. I'm the king. It's my right to, to choose what's right for me to do as king because God put me in that position to rule over Israel. And then he's gonna, he tells her, I'm going to keep worshiping God. I'm going to play music to worship God. I'm going to be more undignified than this if, if that's the way God wants me to worship. I'm going to be humble in my own sight. I don't care if I'm built up or if I look like a king if that's how I have to worship God. I can, I, can, I can be dressed in the mud and worship God if that's how God wants me to worship him. That doesn't bother me, David says. I'm going to be humble in my own sight because my focus is to worship God. No, that I. It sounds like, from what I understand of Bill culture, yeah, their shoes were sandals. <laughs> I mean, I, a lot of wore sandals, I think. Anyway, but he's he's gonna. He doesn't care what he looks like if he's worshiping God. That's not his point. He's not building himself up. He's not making himself the focus. He's not making himself the priority. He's not trying to focus on his reputation. His focus is on worshiping God. And so he doesn't care that he looks like a common person. He doesn't care that he looks like the, the, a base person if, he's, if what he's doing is spending time worshiping God. So what if I don't look like a king as I'm bringing in the ark? That's not important. I am worshiping the Lord God. Why would none of you John the Baptist? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Jesus says, you know, what, what do you see when you went out of the desert? Do you see a guy in rich clothes and soft clothing? And he says, those guys are the guys that stay in king's house. What do you see, a guy in, in camel hair and eating locusts and honey? But John the Baptist, he describes as the greatest among those born among, among women, the greatest of those born among women. I mean, you know, he was doing the will of the Lord. It didn't matter what he looked like. He wasn't trying to promote himself. Yeah. So he says, I will be in, held and honored by the main servants that you mentioned in your mocking of me. <laughs> that's, I think that's kind of a poke back at her. You know, you, you're mocking me with the maid servants. Guess what? Those maid servants are going to honor me because I'm doing what God wants me to do. And then a little note at the end here, verse 23 Michael doesn't have any children the rest of her days. Interesting. We'll talk about that in a second. So, takeaways. Uh, first of all, I think the Lord's work must be done in the Lord's way. David attempted to move the ark in a convenient way. I think uh, putting it on a cart and having oxen pull it is sure a lot easier than having guys carry it. It's going to be faster. It's going to take a lot less work. Um, instead of following how God had prescribed to do it. 
Um, but the result of this was disaster for David. And I think that's a lesson for us. We need to do what God wants us to do in God's way, even if we think we know how to do it better. Um, we may think that doing church in a, in a louder, fancier, more people-driven way might be a better way to get people into the church. But if we sacrifice the gospel and we sacrifice the truth and we sacrifice worship to God, that's not a better way to do it. That's not God's way to do it. We need to stay true to the word of God and do, do this God's way. And maybe we don't get as many people coming in. Maybe people aren't as interested in the truth, but we need to stay consistent with what God wants us to do. Um, God requires our obedience. And that goes, that's not just church. That's every area of life. You know, there may be shortcuts to doing things, but if we're not doing it the way God wants us to do it, then we're not doing it the right way. We need to do things God's way. Ted, your hand went up. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and we do live streams, which I think are good for people at times because you know there are times where people aren't able to get there or whatever, and even we record them and, and send them out for people that miss church for whatever reason. That's good. But if that's you're like, I don't have to go because it's being live streamed. You're missing out on an important part of church, which is the fellowship and the building up of each other. Yeah. And service to other people, which church isn't about what you get out of it. It's what you put into it. It's, it's the body growing together and fellowshipping together and ministering to one another, serving one another. So, yeah, that's a very good example, Dad. Yeah. And there's a lot of examples in life. It doesn't have to just do with church, but I mean, there's there's things that in your life where you may say, "Well, it's it's just easier to do it this way," and that's not the way God wants you to do it. So, Lord's work must be done the Lord's way. Um, secondly, here, when we give ourselves to worship God wholeheartedly, there will be some who do not understand and who are, think we are foolish, ignorant, overzealous, or out of our mind. Um, we cannot allow others' opinion of us to change how we choose to serve and worship God. The things of God are foolishness to those who are perishing. That's always going to be true. There's, people are not going to understand what we are doing as Christians. Um, we need to live our lives as living sacrifices to God. And I, I think you've probably seen I got some of that out of the Bible, <laughs> I hope. Um, we, we need to, to give ourselves, and by worship I don't mean what we do singing up in the front there. I mean... Our everyday service to God is a worship. Our living sacrifice to God. Everything we do ought to be in worship to God. And people aren't going to understand that. Um, it's it's going to minister to some people. And some people are going to realize that we're different and that God is doing something in our lives. But a lot of people are going to just mock us and or think that we're just crazy or whatever. And that's, that's okay because the world does not understand the truth. And we just... We need to keep going and keep persevering and keep living for God and doing what God wants us to do. Uh, Michael didn't understand what David was doing. She didn't, she didn't get it. And David was like, that's okay. I'm just going to keep worshiping God the way God wants me to. And you don't understand that, and that's fine because that's not going to change how I worship God. And that's kind of the attitude we have to have sometimes is that, okay, you don't understand. I, I'll keep explaining to you if you want me to, but I'm just going to keep on doing what's right and worshiping God in my life. And a third note, not really an applicational note, but uh, Michael, without having any children, this continues the fulfillment of the curse from God against the household of Saul. Now, whether it's from um, God actually closing her wound and not allowing her to have any children, or from David just at this point deciding, hey, I'm not going to have any relations with you anymore. And so she doesn't have any children that way. One way or the other, Saul's line does not continue through her. Um, and so God continues to fulfill his promise to Saul that his, his line is not going to continue. Interesting that uh, she kind of did it to herself, but God's fulfilling his promise through that. Uh, I think so much, uh, David is 
Yeah. Yeah, that is interesting. And I, the other thing I thought of, too, is that David's coming home to bless his family, and he gets met with that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting how one person kind of takes, uh, suck the life out of a joyous occasion. I mean, you know, one bad attitude can kind of ruin a whole good occasion of things. We need to be careful about our attitudes, too, sometimes, that uh, we're not we're not causing trouble when there shouldn't be any trouble, when it should be something that we're celebrating, when it should be something that we're just being joyful about. And I, I don't know, maybe David went back after that and said, okay, go away, I'm going to go bless the family anyway. But imagine the discouragement to David that his wife comes out, and this is what she comes up with when he's coming home after celebrating, and he's ready to give a blessing to his family, and she's, she confronts him with that. So, And to him, probably out of the blue, because he didn't read the earlier part of the chapter, obviously. Because it wasn't written, Nathan. <laughs> so, um, you know, so, you know, we we need to be careful. And um, even, the, even the way she confronts them, just with the, the sarcasm and the, the bitterness in, the, in her con- confrontation there is just not very good. That's not, how, that's not how you should confront people, by the way. That's a bad example of that. So, anyway, any other thoughts or questions or comments? I believe laziness is the mother of invention, so I, I, I guess, what did I say about you, Nathan? I don't know. I'm awesome. You're awesome, I guess. I, I, I have not thought of that. Um, I'm trying to work my way through that. They're supposed to carry it. They're carrying the... Uh, you put them on a cart. Well, could you put it on their shoulders and give them chairs to sit on, too, on the cart? I, I don't know. I'm not even going to answer that. That's just. <laughs> I'll let I'll let the more knowledgeable Bible scholars tell me if that's right or wrong. Okay. Why don't you close in prayer after that? I think you earned that. By the way, how long were you thinking of that?